0: Hello, welcome to the new Dalham History podcast. Along the way, there'll always be games and jokes, but mainly this is serious history. Well, as serious as me and Gribbing get.
1: Hello, welcome to the newest episode of Dalham History podcast.
0: Yeah, it's the there. new Dalham <laughs> History podcast.
1: And I, I forget the name every time, yeah. it's too long. Too right, long. Right, so... To, uh, this time round, we're going to do which social changes affected crime and punishment uh, circa 1500 to 1700. The early
0: modern period.
1: Exactly. And we're going to link that in to some of the crimes that become more prevalent in the early modern period and some events that are relevant.
0: It's all your favourite stuff that you lot like to talk about. Your poaching, your smuggling, your bloody code. All has its roots in this time period. And it's understanding what's changing to then understand why that changes crime and punishment. If you can get your head around this topic, you've nailed the middle of crime and punishment. Absolutely. But not nailed as in crucifixes. That's too early.
1: (laughs) Okay, so we're starting off with religious turmoil. We've just done our previous podcast on the role of the church. Um, And so religious turmoil plays a really big role in the early modern period. The changes made by Henry VIII during the 1530s caused much unrest and confusion.
0: It's a roller coaster.
1: Yeah. Like, exactly like the roller coaster that we make you do in class. It's almost as if we plan these things. It um It was followed by a period of religious upheaval as the country switched from Protestant to Catholic and back again. As religious arguments continued, both sides accused the other of being in league with the devil. This helped increase public belief in evil and supernatural explanations for events.
0: It did. I mean, I'm hoping that there's some A-level students listening in too. This is what causes a lot of the problems for your A-level topics. You've got the paper for paper 1, which is looking at religious changes in the 17th century, and your paper 3 as well, looking at Tudor rebellions. It's all focused around this religious turmoil. Speaking about the whole A-level paper, Year 11s, if you're thinking about picking your options, it's an absolute dream. We're looking at political change in the 17th century. It's the biggest rebellion in British history, the English Civil War. Uh, Parliament fights and beats the king and chops his head off. The fact that they are able to use the law as a legitimate reason to execute their own king is fascinating. They use treason as the reason for him to be beheaded. He commits the crime of a crime against the king as the king... To be executed.
1: (laughs) It's like Inception.
0: It really is. It's Kingception.
1: Lovely, yeah. (laughs) Um, Basically, the removal of the king means that the country's plunged into political chaos for a period of time. And um, there's a little famous, well, there's a famous cartoon, isn't there, of the world turned upside down where the man's got feet for hands and hands for feet.
0: There's the horse. Yeah, and
1: there's the fish in the sky and all that sort of stuff. Um, Basically saying that this has created a feeling of insecurity and fear that lasts for decades after the end of the Civil War.
0: It does. It's repercussions last right the way through. Certainly, I think that heightens the fear when the French are having their revolution, Britain doesn't want to return to that, which then sees people like the Toll Puddle Martyrs victimised that much more harshly because of what's happened in the 17th century in Britain.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, another social change which affects uh, crime and punishment is landowners' attitudes. So there's um, a pattern during this period where landowners are becoming richer and growing in influence.
0: I like how you say it in this period.
1: Well, throughout time when, well, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer.
0: And the rich think that the poor are up to something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Forever and ever. That's yeah. just how it is. Um, so they encourage laws that defend their rights, their power, their property.
0: Their They're power and rights and property. Yeah. yeah. Not,
1: well, not anyone else's. And they defend themselves against those they regard as a threat.
0: Everyone else.
1: The poor people. The poor people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um increasingly landowners regard the poor with suspicion. They feel threatened by their growing numbers and want to keep the poor firmly in their place.
0: And that links to population growth. We're seeing a period in the early modern uh, period of history where actually less babies are dying, the age that people are dying at is increasing, you've got more working uh, aged people in the population Still the same number of jobs needing to be done, which unfortunately leads to an increase in crime. If people can't find work and people don't have money, people will find other ways of surviving.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And those economic changes are really key. So um, the overwhelming majority of people are remaining poor while the rich get richer. Um, And... This means they're vulnerable to things like rises in prices or economic downturn, which causes them to be unemployed and leads to things like vagabondage and and um, highway robbery. But we'll get onto that in the second part of the podcast.
0: We will indeed. Hopefully, we won't get onto that in a post-Brexit Britain. <laughs> Rising prices and an increase in vagabondage.
1: Let's hope so. Let's hope so. The last uh, change that we want to talk about is printing, and oh,
0: we've been told not to print too much. <laughs> yeah.
1: Hashtag Save the Trees.
0: Hence why we're doing the podcast.
1: (laughs) So printing is really, really important. And I try and talk about this quite a lot when I talk about the early modern period, because printing is only invented in the 15th century. Before that, it's word of mouth. It's sort of like handwritten things. Nothing sort of...
0: Beautiful manuscripts yeah. that no one can afford, so yes. therefore no one can read, therefore no one learns to read, therefore no one shares ideas.
1: Yeah, nothing's mass-produced, but in the 15th century, books, broadsheets, pamphlets, everything like that starts to appear.
0: Oh, but that's the problem, isn't it? There's no real control over what's being printed. What sort of things did they print?
1: Well, the favourite topic for pamphlets was crime, particularly witchcraft and vagabondage. they usually usually illustri- illustrated read out loud to people uh, and so though even those unable to read could understand the general message but they're very often sort of like sensationalised uh, creative, dramatic not necessarily truthful
0: it's what sells isn't it? Crime news cells. of crime cells, <laughs> uh, as we see later on even in the 19th century uh, with Jack the Ripper it's the fact that people are interested in the gruesome the, the gory the, the people who are a threat
1: so we'll go back to religious turmoil that links to a number of things that happen in the early modern period. Your case study is the Gunpowder Plot, mm-hmm. linked to religious turmoil because the Gunpowder Plotters uh, are unhappy with uh, King James the First, and so therefore they decide that they want to blow him up.
0: If he's not going to tolerate their Catholicism, they're not going to tolerate him living.
1: Okay, and that, that religious turmoil leads to this act of terrorism mm-hmm. or attempted act of terrorism because yeah. it fails. It's still terrorism. Yeah. Even if it's unsuccessful. Yeah. Uh and uh ends up with Guy Fawkes being uh tortured and hung drawn and quartered.
0: mm What else have we got?
1: Religious turmoil is also linked to witchcraft. We've done a whole entire podcast on witchcraft if you've yeah. Um but it's this belief of being in league with the devil Mm -hmm. and that's fueled by all this religious turmoil James the first book called demonology which is based on religious principles of the devil sort of um infiltrating all these poor Mm. old lonely women who live in the countryside and so therefore you must hunt them down and kill them
0: which links to printing as well doesn't it because it's the fact that his book is written and mass produced, which means that it reaches a larger audience than you'd normally expect it to, which means more people are on the lookout for these witches.
1: Absolutely. And then printing as well um, is definitely linked to vagabondage because there's this massive fear of vagabondage and vagabonds being in gangs that are just exist. Yeah, they're basically just homeless beggars. And the printing press turns them into this like villain in society mm. that means that the landowners are terrified of these gangs of homeless people roaming the streets and trying to steal things. Because that was
0: a legitimate lifestyle choice. People could choose to travel the country selling their wares, that not having a fixed abode, and then all of a sudden you're a criminal for it. That That's a case of the law adapting... To, to deal with people's attitudes rather than people's attitudes matching the law.
1: Absolutely. And then we get landowners' attitudes linking to all of those things in that vagabondage, again, is down to the landowners being petrified that, you know, God forbid, poor people might come anywhere near their property and threaten uh, their standing.
0: So, really, the key is you need to know about all these events, but you need to understand what is causing them to happen. Certainly for that... Uh, Question four, they explain why something changes. You've got to have your reasons why it's changing.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you've also got your political changes, which links into talking about the Civil War. When all those soldiers come back from the Civil War and they've got nowhere to go and nothing to do, well...
0: Well, they've got a weapon. Well, yes. You've got a weapon and no job. What do you decide to do?
1: Highway robbery. Exactly.
0: <laughs> You're trained to use a pistol. You might as well point it at wealthy people. It all keeps going round. Am I? Oh Gribbin, it's time now for the Who Am I? Except obviously I I prepared this before we recorded the episode. And kids, if you haven't guessed it already, there's not a lot of planning goes into the episode (laughs) itself. We've kind of gone in a different direction than I expected to. So my person hasn't in no way come up in this episode. However, awkwardly, sort of was linked to the last episode.
1: Tenuous, but we'll 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 go with it. Go go.
0: with it in, in an oeuvre. Of uh, these podcasts. We're in a group. Certainly in terms of our time period, it's the early modern period that we're looking at. uh, And this person is from the early modern period.
1: Totally relevant.
0: Are you ready for some facts about said person?
1: Uh, Yeah.
0: (coughs) This will test you.
1: Oh,
0: God. This person was the son. So already it's a man. Okay. Just to be clear. After last time. son, The son of a prosperous Puritan weaver from Leicestershire. Okay. They were apprenticed to a shoemaker in about 1635 when they were 11 years old.
1: Is it a Cromwell?
0: It's not a Cromwell, but you are in the right time period. Okay. Um, They proclaimed their message as they travelled around the Midlands and the North, attracting small groups of followers who called themselves Friends of the Truth.
1: Ooh, sounds like a cult leader.
0: hmm well, they were imprisoned in Nottingham and Derby and gave up the chance of freedom by enlisting in the army uh, against the invasion of Charles II and the Scots under Cromwell.
1: Is it... no, carry on. I'm <laughs> so rubbish at this game. It's OK,
0: this one okay. Is... this one is tricky. His personal pacifism became an important feature of his movement as a whole.
1: Oh, I'm thinking someone like Thomas More, but... It's not... mm, a bit
0: later a bit later. Okay, okay. he called for the abolition of tithes he refused to bow or doff his hat to social superiors and insisted that anyone including women and children could speak in the meeting houses is he a Quaker? oh he is a Quaker Ooh, okay. after experiencing a vision on Pendle Hill in 1652 he travelled to Sedba in Westmoreland Ooh, local here. connection indeed uh, where he addressed a gathering of a thousand people He went to London and was personally interviewed by Oliver Cromwell, who was impressed with his plain speaking and religious sincerity. Um, But then um, when one of his friends called James Naylor was persecuted under the Blasphemy Act, religious turmoil, um, he had to discourage radicalism and change the structure of his group, the Quaker group.
1: Oh, I don't know the name of any famous Quakers. Is it the man on the box with the hat?
0: No, he's uh oh. he's a American Quaker, I think. He's no. he's not the man.
1: Boo. Um
0: I'm sure some of the students out there will know. Um an extra clue then, just to help you out.
1: Alright, it's an easy one.
0: It's a quite a short surname. It's a type of animal with a bushy red tail. Squirrel. That's not a short <laughs> name.
1: A type of animal with a bushy red tail. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> a bushy red tail. I have no idea.
0: George Fox. George Fox, yeah. They have a bushy red tail.
1: Well, you got me.
0: George Fox. Linked to so many of our topics. Religion, Cromwell, local area, a name worth remembering. Certainly if you're wanting to talk about somebody who was looking to make religious changes. Which was the last topic, but never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Right then, it's technique time.
1: Okay, we've got a practice question for you here. And we're going to go for a 16 mark question, which is a how far do you agree question. Um, And the statement that we've got today is, landowners' attitudes were the most important factor affecting the development of the bloody code in the 1680s. How far do you agree? Explain your answer.
0: So, 16 marker, that one does need a conclusion doesn't necessarily need an introduction.
1: No, I wouldn't do an introduction.
0: The only time I do an introduction is if I was looking to frame the factors that I was doing. If I was messing with criteria for judgment, we'll talk about that in another episode, <laughs> it might be something that you want to just briefly set out before you begin. Certainly A-level lot, you'll understand that, and IB lot. That, that's something that you're doing all the time. But for GCSE, it's not needed. Yeah. So for this,
1: I would say you need... Probably three paragraphs and a conclusion. You want to weigh up both sides of the argument or all factors. So you would have to say, you would have to have a paragraph about why landowners' attitudes were important in affecting the development of the bloody code. But then you might go for a couple of other factors.
0: Other things that were important in the development of the bloody code.
1: Such as the belief that crime was increasing.
0: Yes. Um... Or religious attitudes, linking back to our last episode, uh, and the fact that people were looking to, to punish sinners and the, the, wanting to dissuade people from committing crime to make sure that they go to heaven.
1: Absolutely. So how you'd approach this question, you need to give um, a varied selection of arguments. So you would start off by saying... Um, landowners' attitudes were important in developing the bloody code because, at the time, landowners were increasingly worried about the threat to their own property, land, personal belongings from um, the poorer people in society. So, therefore, those richer people took the uh, standing that they needed to tackle this through developing harsher punishments such as the bloody code.
0: Brilliant. So, really... The questions trying to get you to think about the the ideas behind punishments here, isn't it? Why were the why was the buddy Code introduced? So that that's going to have to come across in your explanations, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So you could go for something else like um, another factor that you could talk about would be sort of like the increase in population and the growth in towns and cities that may be made. Um, policing harder at the Mm -hmm. time so therefore harsher punishment Punishment. would act as a method of policing and law enforcement
0: like it so you've got to be clever with this question Mm. haven't you it's a case of not just saying everything you know about the bloody code certainly not just saying everything you know about landowner attitudes but thinking to yourself right bloody code what caused it to develop explaining how it's different And linking those paragraphs together.
1: Absolutely. And my favourite one for the bloody code, again, the printing press, okay? She's obsessed. I am obsessed obsessed with the printing press. But the printing press fuels... Uh, A sort of inaccurate fear of crime at this point in time. And it makes crime out uh, to be a worse problem than it is. Mm -hmm. So people believe that crime is on the increase, and they therefore believe that they need a new system of punishment, harsher punishment, to deal with that increase in crime. In actual fact, at this point in time, crime is decreasing, um, but the authorities and the general public because of this increase in you know crime-based pamphlets and printing they believe that crime is getting worse.
0: It'd be a little bit like a newspaper reporter making up stories about straight bananas and EU directives as a way of getting people to be angry about the EU, mm. not really any evidence behind it, to then fuel something like a, a break from Europe altogether and then getting himself elected as Prime Minister off the back of it.
1: Yeah, that would be absurd.
0: That would be absurd. That, it would have happened in 17th century England, but not in modern society where we're far cleverer mm. to see through the lies that people publish. it's joke time we're looking at jokes linked to the idea of um the early modern period um should have used it last episode really it's more of a religious joke but never mind i'm still going to throw it in there gribbin before you knock it out the park with a better one why do roman catholic chapels smell nicer than reformed churches
1: I don't know why do Roman Catholic chapels smell nicer than reformed churches?
0: Because they're filled with potpourri. <laughs> potpourri. That was
1: quite good. I thought
0: that was good. So what have you got?
1: Bangers <laughs> and mash. Okay next joke. What was Guy Fawkes favourite meal?
0: What was Guy Fawkes favourite meal?
1: Bangers and mash.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay then my one. A vagabond knocked on the back door of a house and asked for something to eat. Go away, said the lady of the house. I never feed vagabonds. That's all right, lady, said the vagabond. I'll feed myself. (laughs) (laughs) You got any vagabond jokes?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, Sorry. Uh, A wife says to her husband, shall I give that vagabond one of my cakes? And the husband replied, why? What harm has he ever done to us? (laughs) 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 Okay, final joke. We've covered a number of topics today, so we're going to go for witches. What happened to the bad tempered witch?
0: What happened to the bad tempered witch?
1: She flew off the handle. <laughs> <sighs>
0: oh, right, well, I suppose it's goodbye from her. Goodbye from him. <laughs>